Welcome to the Future Is podcast. This is a special episode for season three that features key conversations between Honeywell's business leaders and some of its key customers. These conversations shed light into what industries look like now and how they're preparing for the future. In this conversation, Louise Heron, the CEO of the Sydney Opera House, discusses with Honeywell's Building Technologies President and CEO Vimal Kapoor about how data helps the iconic building conserve energy. These fireside chats were part of our inaugural Honeywell Tech Forum, so let's take a listen. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Vimal Kapoor, and I'm President and CEO of Honeywell Building Te- Technologies Business. Uh, I'm pleased to have today with me Louis Heron, who is the CEO of Sydney Opera House. Uh, it's an iconic building, which uh, hopefully needs no introduction. Uh, I think we all rushed to see that when we land in Australia. That's what I did. Uh, and I always remember this to be the first thing to be seen in New Year event when you see the fireworks there. But a little bit of some few words, more words about Sydney Opera House. Uh, it's the most visited uh, uh, site in Australia welcoming almost 11 million people in a normal year and hosting approximately 1800 performances and perform, uh, performing arts, uh, which are seen by almost 1.4 million people. Uh, Louis, uh, she was appointed CEO of the Sydney Opera House in 2012 and previously has been a lawyer and corporate advisor. She was chair of Sydney Belvere Theatre for 10 years. She has led the development and implementation of Opera House renewal program to ensure this heritage site is, uh, remains lively as it is today. And there's a program to, on renewal, which uh, is, exceeds $300 million of capital. And we're going to talk more about that to the program. So Louis, welcome and really appreciate uh, you taking some time. Thanks so much, Vimal. I just want to add one extra thing that, that wasn't in the bio that only came in last week which is that we have been voted, have been ranked the second most eco-friendly tourist attraction in the world. And we didn't even know we were up for the competition. All right, that's great. So imagine when we hit six, six stars, we'll be, yeah. hopefully we'll be number one. So that was probably, that's where, Lewis, I was going to start in. I think you, you have, your organization has been the leading light on sustainability and eco-friendly, uh, being eco-friendly. We all see around that a lot of businesses and companies like us are making goals to do a carbon neutral or sustainability strategy over the next 10 to 20 years. But what I learned is you guys are always carbon neutral now for the last two to three years. First, I want to kick off to kind of learn a little bit about your journey. When, when did you think about it? Why did you think about it? Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, the um, the Opera House was was designed by a Danish architect, Jorn Utzon, um, in the in the late fifties and constructed in the sixties and the seventies. And basically, the building is inherently a sustainable building. And so, when we knew that it was really important that we continue this, that we, as the symbol of Australia, actually be right out there showing the importance of you know, environmental sustainability, it wasn't a long jump for us because it was already embedded into our DNA. But we did take it very seriously. We, um, we entered into um, renewable power pur- a renewable power purchase agreement. In 2016, there were no renewable power purchase agreements in Australia and there are now over 80 and we've had ours for almost two years. Hmm. 
And that means that our $2.4 million annual electricity spend comes from our investment in wind and, and solar plants. And I think a really important part of our journey as well has been the, the Honeywell building management control system. So, for example, we're able to look on the screen and see, for example, the level of, um, the level of energy availability and our predicted um, use of electricity. And we can either draw, for example, we can draw early on our wind and solar energy to pre-cool theatres, for example, so that we're doing that at a time when environmentally it makes sense because we can draw on those projects and financially it makes sense because it means we don't need to buy electricity at the spot prices. Right, right. If, if you look back, you think you could have done this whole program earlier or faster? I mean, if you have to do it all over again, you think you could have cut some time in terms of how you executed it? Do you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that we could have. I mean, there may, be, there may be a better answer than that. But I think as with all projects, what really matters is the people who lead these projects, who bring them to your attention. And I would say it was a combination of the, the, the global goals um, you know, and the fact that, that that environmental sustainability is called out so heavily. So there's a plan. We've had an environmental action plan that sets out exactly what we, we aim to do each year and we report against that plan each year. And we have really dedicated people in Ian Cashin, who's our executive director of uh, building security and safety, and also Emma Bombonato, who is our manager of sustainability, really highly qualified. And those people sort of draw us forward and inspire us to, to do this. And for example, when we became carbon neutral, we lit the sails of the Opera House green hmm. and we got so much international coverage for it because what the Opera House does really matters. Yep. So this isn't sort of a luxury. This is, this is our obligation. Yeah. On a similar question, uh, you know, recently there has been uh, like, whether we talk about COVID or recent bushfires in Australia or in the West part of US, there has been a lot more awareness on we being in a healthy environment, air quality around us. You get millions of visitors in this premium location. How do you think about air quality and your visitors being in a healthy environment all the time? Yeah, well, that, that's a, it's a really fantastic question. And last year, uh, you know, was, it's, it's approaching a year ago when, you know, w we couldn't even see across the street that's how bad the air quality was. It was, it was quite frighteningly terrible. And so we, we worked through the Honeywell BMCS to make sure that we actually readjusted the way that we were dealing with the air quality. So we reduced the amount of air that we took from the outside and we allowed the, the carbon dioxide levels to increase slightly inside the building, not so as to put people to sleep, but just to deal with this in a, in a better way. And we learned a lot along the way. You have some absolutely fantastic technicians that we worked with who helped us with the modeling. And we're going to use it in future um, as well. Yep. I mean, uh, we see our customers becoming more and more aware. And I think, again, your organization set pretty high standards in, 
in early days. Talking on that, you, know, you talk a lot about your people. I think one common thread we see is uh, skilled people are not enough available and you are one of the rare organization which manages the, all the infrastructure, all the facility yourself, which is not very common. So how do you, does it bother you? Kind of how do you sustain the skill set of the people over the next 10 to 20 years? Because how do you think about it? Well, I think about first and foremost, you can never take the Opera House for granted. The fact of saying I work at the Sydney Opera House, internationally people say, wow. wow. Like you never have to say a word more than I work at Sydney Opera House. So we have a highly passionate workforce and, um, and we're very conscious of the need to make sure that we live up to the promise of the building. So we say we want to be as bold and inspiring as the Opera House itself. And that applies to the number of female leaders we have, that we make sure that we are very respectful of First Nations, that we look after disability and access, that we look after environmental sustainability, that all of these things are there. And we're constantly reaching for the next, you know, the next ambition um, very much guided by um, very much guided by the global goals, as I said, and also through my favourite, which is um, partnership for the goals. So, for example, when the air quality was terrible, the um, we were going to have a, a bushfire gala on the forecourt of the opera house, and we got very generous support from Honeywell to do that, and we were able to donate money to all of the people who had suffered from the bushfires, uh, with your help. The concert didn't go ahead because of COVID. You know, it's, the, it's kind of yeah. rolling disaster here. But it is, I do really want to stress, it's not only our people, but it's the partnerships that we enter into as well that enable us to achieve these things. How do you, Lewis, think about technology in all this? I mean, you while you have a big responsibility to make this iconic, uh, you know, building running up and running all the time, how do you think about technology helping you to accomplish your objectives? Technology is absolutely key. So, for example, if we look at our, at our targets, so, for example, we aim to reduce our water usage by, th by 30%, which from a baseline, which we have done. Um, and that is equivalent to saving about 10 Olympic swimming pools per year. Mm -hmm. um, and we use the BMCS, for example. We put um, we put water meters on a whole lot of new uh, on a whole lot of um, equipment, and we can see we can spot a water leak immediately. For example, just last week in one of the theatres, that we spotted a leak through the BMCS that was it was leaking about sixty kiloliters a day, which is almost half of our daily consumption. Oh. Um, so technology is really important. I mean, the first important thing is to work out what your objective is and then how you're going to get there and then to scan around for all of the available technology to work out what the best possible way of getting there might be. Um, so it's, it's really key. No, I know we can go a longer. Unfortunately, we only had a short period of time. So I really want to thank you again for uh, this great conversation and uh, look forward to see you when the travel back uh, starts back again. So thank yeah. you very much, Luis, for your time. Thank you so much, Vimal. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Season 3 of The Future Is. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to go behind the scenes of future technology. Mm -hmm.